After returning back to Ho Chi Minh for my first travel leg in Phu Quoc, I was gearing up for my next trip up north to Quinyon. Quinyon, a beach city in the central Vietnamese region of Bandan, is known for its sandy beaches and its tourist-famous mountainous coasts and small islands. In recent years, the city had become one of Vietnam's most famous beach cities. Most importantly of all, the city is part of where I came from. My parents met in Quinyon High School and moved to the city. My grandparents still live here as a result. As I decide to return to Quinyon, I can't help but to be excited to return to my roots. Follow me as I embark on my familial reunion, and this is a Vietnamese narrative podcast. From Ho Chi Minh City to Quinyon, a flight would take no longer than an hour. A ticket would cost no more than a million Vietnamese dong for about $44. However, I decided to take a mode of transport that has seemingly been a forgotten part of Vietnamese culture, the train. I hopped on a taxi from my home to the further end of the city, loaded a small blue suitcase into the trunk of the cab, and then closed the trunk. I told the driver I was going to the train station. There are, in fact, two train stations in Saigon. Though, to this day, Saigoners hardly need to distinguish the two from each other because only one of the two is still operational. The old station built by the French in 1885 is now where Benton Market is. When the station was originally built, there were two main popular routes, Saigon Mita and Saigon Yatjang. Saigon was the last stop on the southern end of the rail route, and it still is. In 1911, the French commissioned a new Saigon rail station to be built. It's located where the 23rd of September Park is today. It was completed in September 1950. After the liberation of Saigon, the Ho Chi Minh City local government enacted an urban planning scheme which moved the station further away from the city center to Bintriu. The station that still operates today was opened in November 1983. The train itself is a piece of history. The silver, blue, and red paint cover of the front and the sides of the train deteriorates along the bottom of the window sills of the first several cars of the train, showing the layer of iron rust that is a sign of the train's times. The clouded-up windows are covered with a rubber residue that looked like glue to hold the nuts and bolts of the frame of the window together. I crossed the train tracks and climbed up to the second platform of the train station. Train attendants, wearing worn-down blue uniforms with their badges stuck to their left-side pocket square, slowly pulled out the ramp that connects the train to the train platform. As passengers like me make their way to the train cars, vendor carts selling banh mi and stir-fry noodles tempt small kids with the smell of sautéed onions, fried shallots, grilled pork, and soy sauce. I can hear the vendor lady sing her promotional tune about the stir-fried rice paper and fried fish balls in front of my car. It was hard not to give in. The moment I walked into the train car, a sense of nostalgia filled my head. I couldn't remember the last time I had traveled on a Vietnamese train, let alone an overnight one. I remembered the narrow walkways on the edge of each car, the ads hung on the walls, and the small blue plaque on the corner of each door to signify the bunker number. I opened the doors to the bunker section I booked and began to have flashbacks of past memories of the train. Each year during February period of time, our family would always make the trip back home to Quinyon to celebrate Lunar New Year or Tết, as we like to call it in Vietnamese. In earlier years, our family had a car, 
a key occurrence that we always use to drive back home. The car stank with scents of sawdust and PVA glue, a true car perfume. Yet, for one of those years, we had decided to take the train back to Quinyun because we had other relatives who wanted to tag along. I was about 10 years old back then. You could only imagine my excitement to enter a moving train for the first time. 10-year-old me was excited to look outside the window, feel the train moving across whatever hair I had back then, and play Minecraft on the iPad for the rest of the duration of the trip. A drive back to Quinyun would take our family around 18 hours. A train ride would take 13 hours instead. It's not a huge difference, but I liked moving around with a little bit more comfort than, say, sitting in a car for several consecutive hours. Perhaps, I was the most annoying train passenger one could imagine. The initial excitement was palpable. I had carried with me a backpack full of snacks to enjoy on the train. I peeked out the window for about an hour or two until I instantly fell asleep into a deep nap. After what felt like a long sleep, I woke up and asked my mother what time it was. We were only about four hours into our trip and had about nine hours to go. For the duration of the next nine hours, I remembered frantically running up and down the pathway outside our bunker, nagging my father about what time we were going to arrive in Quinyun once every, let's say, six to seven minutes, and whined about how boring the trip was constantly. I guess, compared with a car ride, it was not as boring, but a younger version of me would not have fully enjoyed or experienced the essence of a train riding to its fullest. Seeing the bunk beds with the rubber, rock-hard mattresses, a small electric plug underneath a brown foldable table that is annexed to the side of the train, and rusty foothold for those who want to climb to the top beds, I was reminded of the last train ride I took several years earlier. Shortly after leaving Saigon train station, heading north towards Binghua, I walked across the train cabins and met a train attendant's family in one of the connection cars to join the two halves of the train together. The train attendant's name was Ng. The kids deserve a break, so I'm taking them out to Quinyon until Sunday and then go back home in Saigon. I've been a train attendant for about 20 years, for a while now, but the train predates me to a time when the French began construction of the railway before the revolution of the South. Then I met his two sons nagging him on the train to travel up north to Quinyon, where they would spend a couple of days there for summer vacation. They were mischievous kids who had just finished fifth grade. Upon entering the cabin car, they saw my camera and reacted with amazement. I think amusement would be a better word. Clearly, I had caught their attention. Upon initially passing them, I heard them calling me their sufo, which meant master in Vietnamese. That was enough to make me turn around. I asked them if they wanted to try out using my camera, an old Canon EOS 1200D. They told me they had never seen such a cool camera before in their lives, and to my amazement, they were obviously very excited to try this camera out. Hence, they wore the camera over their neck, and I showed them the different buttons and toggles of the camera. The black button on the right corner of the camera is the button to take the picture, and they needed to twist the lens to adjust the focus. I stood in the rubber section where the train cars connected, and they took a picture of me in my white t-shirt and brownish-yellow shorts while crossing my hands and looking menacingly at the camera lens. 
They also took a photo of me as I stumbled upon when the train rocked back and forth, but we won't discuss that in this podcast. Upon talking to Mr. Hugman about the history of the train, they jumped in with some fifth grade history knowledge of their own. One of them said that the liberation of Saigon was when Uncle Ho read the Declaration of Independence and that it was a war between Vietnam and Cuba. The other said he knew about the legend of Hai Ba Drung and how they rode elephants to defeat the enemies. The kids seemed cheerful on the train, a feeling I remembered I had when first riding the train while I was young. It was almost as if the train to the kids was something that was familiar. After all, their dad is a train attendant. Mr. Hung had worked on the train for over 20 years. So as I was speaking, I do go home as a train attendant. It's not like I leave home for months. The train returns home, so we leave from Saigon to Quinyan, and then I wait for my passengers and my crew, and the train departs Quinyan to Saigon. Mr. Hung gave a little bit of insight into the train I was riding on. Saigon is the last stop of the southern leg of the rail system here in Vietnam. The most popular route today with refurbished trains is the Bac Nam route, where the train would make many stops on a direct trip from Ho Chi Minh to Hanoi. The trip itself would take about 3 or 4 days. The price of a ticket is slightly more expensive than the ticket I bought for the Saigon Quinyun route. As a result of the rising popularity of the Bac Nam route, other routes like Saigon Quinyun has sort of become obsolete. As I was conversing with Mr. Hung, another train attendant walked into the cabin and joined in the conversation. People used to really ride this train a lot a decade ago because train used to be the main method of domestic transport. When air travel became prevalent, and especially when the pandemic came, the number of passengers who ride this train diminished, so Vietnam Rail decided to discontinue the Quinyan route. Now, the Quinyan route only operates during weekends, on Thursdays and Fridays. On other days, the Quinyan bound train only stops at Yudri Station. They are within 15 kilometers of each other, but Quinyan Station is a sidetrack and not part of the main Thong rail track which links Ho Chi Minh City and Hanoi, so other trains can't visit Quinyun even if they wanted to. This train though, the cars have aged a lot. They used to design this train as the Golden Train, or the Saigon Quinyun Tourist Train. Now that other trains are more modern cars, they are of newer generation, that weren't available 5 or 6 years ago. So this train has a lot of history to it. Though not as popular as before, the train still serves a crucial function for those who cannot afford to buy bus or plane tickets to travel across the country. Because train tickets are so cheap, poor families who live in rural areas of Vietnam are able to travel to major cities to conduct business, check up on their health, and reunite with their loved ones. However, the train has mostly disappeared into societal oblivion. 
On each car, there are approximately 10 capsules, each containing four beds. I shared my capsule with a family of free and a mother and her child. The family of free was heading to Udre, the penultimate stop for summer vacation, whereas the mother, her name was Nyom, and her child was heading to Nyadrang instead. I had the chance to talk to the mother during the trip. I'm heading to Nyadrang. I went to Saigon to take my child up to the doctor. I have someone I know who lives in Saigon, so I went with my child up to the city to have him checked out. The doctor claims that the disease my child has is a birth defect, so surgery is impossible. It was a bit hard to swallow, but I guess that's that. I live in Yadrans and I'm returning back home, but he's only three years old. That was the voice of Ms. Nyom and her child, who is only three years old. That was only a small snippet of the conversation I had with her. Perhaps, the story of the circumstances of her family is an eye-opening story to the realities that rural Vietnamese families face today. Ms. Nyom was born in the central Vietnamese region of Nhe Trang. She still lives there until this day. When she grew up, her family worked on farms in the rural local villages near Nhe Trang to make a living by selling their crops. Now, however, the family found that farming is no longer a viable money-making job because bigger and more modern farms lowered the price of crops from traditional farmers, and Ms. Nyom's parents now work on their cropland for their retirement. Ms. Nyom now has to work several jobs to earn for her family. The jobs she takes on are meager, low-earning jobs, but she claims that it is enough to live. Several years ago, she was married to a man who was moderately wealthy. Together, they gave birth to their child. However, to their dismay, the child was born with a birth defect. Ms. Nyum believes that it is only a cleft lip, but she doesn't fully know what the defect is. Just a year after the birth of their child, Ms. Nyum's husband was having an affair with another woman. Ms. Nyum hence divorced from her husband and now tending to her child as a single mother. She teared up slightly while talking to me about her past, for she also talked about the importance of her integrity. She knew that he had the money in order to keep her life together, but she couldn't bear to live knowing that she would be living off the money of somebody else who doesn't care for her as she thought they would. She told me the reason she broke up with him was that she had enough self-integrity in order to teach her son that just because you can doesn't mean you should. During the night, when the families were in my capsule were asleep, I turned on the light next to my top bunk bed and I started writing this episode. I decided to write this episode because I wanted to tell some of the stories of the people I've met on this train, a train that carries with it so much history and sentimental value and memories for the people who ride on them. I met an 80-year-old lady who was returning to Quignon to reunite with her 82-year-old husband after six years of living abroad in the States. 
Her husband was going to greet her at the station, and she talked to me about how excited she was to finally see him again after such a long time. She had to move to the U.S. with her children for a period of time to help support them while they settled in, but deep down she never really wanted to stay. She found her calling in Vietnam and in Quy Nhân, and after six years she was compelled enough to return home. I also met other students who just finished their college exams and were traveling back to their hometowns for summer break and to see their relatives again. Yui, an 11th grade student, was traveling to Binghua to meet up with some of his friends for the summer. Binghua is Yui's hometown, so he was looking forward to having a fun time with his childhood friends. These stories, these people, and these experiences are all linked together through this train ride. In a way, all the passengers on this train, including myself, all have a story to tell. Just like how my story is that I'm trying to record as many stories as I can, others have stories about their past and what led them to be on this train at that moment. All in all, if we were to look, take a look back at the train, it has largely vanished into oblivion. Just several decades ago, when air travel and roads weren't as developed, which made travel harder, the train was considered the main mode of transportation. To many back at the time, their viewpoint of how they saw the train is like the viewpoint of many today in how they see airplanes and air travel. It was the way to go. Now, though, train travel is thought to be inefficient and time-consuming. Perhaps the change in viewpoint is inevitable. After all, new innovation has the potential to alter preferences. Perhaps Vietnamese society had moved on from the train. In a way, however, the train is a symbol of the Vietnamese narrative. The history of the train, the station, and the routes predate the liberation of Saigon. Some even went as far as the French rule. The trains themselves have been operating for over 20 to 25 years and thus carry with them historical value. The stories within this train, within the people who ride it, are a benchmark of the humanity of Vietnam or the essence of the people and their values. The stories within the train describe an image of Vietnam seen from the ordinary eye, an image of Vietnam seen through hardship and elation. To me, the train, though mostly forgotten, is the valuable treasure chest of people who define and shape the Vietnamese narrative on an everyday basis.